Hello and welcome to Cloud Nine Fin, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything that you might want to know about death capital, <clears throat> debt capital markets. I'm your host, Will Cager Smith, and this week I'm joined by a Cloud Nine Fin first timer, Sammy Vukel, who covers private credit for us. Welcome, Sammy. Hey, Will. Thank you for having me. Excited to be part of your showbiz debut. So, for this Halloween themed episode of Cloud Nine Fin, we're going to submerge ourselves in a spooky swampland of the specialty finance industry that some find a little bit morbid the life settlements industry. Yeah, uh, spooky, but uh, potentially extremely profitable swamp. Indeed. So, what is the life settlements industry? It doesn't sound very scary on the face of it. Yeah. Um, so in the simplest terms, it's the secondary market for life insurance policies. But, you know, even when you put it that way, it still makes it sound way more bland than it really mm. is, you know, because we're not talking about bundling your home and auto loans to save 15% here. We're talking life and death. Ah, so the life in life settlements actually means death, which sounds sufficiently spooky for a Halloween podcast. Yeah. So I'll, I'll set the scene of the primary market for you to give you an idea. Okay. So people take out life insurance policies for a bunch of different reasons, presumably to take care of their family or any beneficiaries who depend on them in the event of their untimely demise. Or to fake their own death and then cash in on it. Yeah, that, that too. Uh, manufactured default, if you will. Ah, very good. Anyway, so... Those insurance policies, of course, involve paying monthly or yearly premiums, uh, and those increase as you get older and your health deteriorates. Typically, mm -hmm. that's what happens. Sometimes those premiums contain a cash value component where a portion of each payment goes into an investment account. And this model is theoretically supposed to help pay premiums later on in life when they're more expensive. Okay, right. So that's I mean, what you're describing is basically just normal life insurance. So where does private credit come in? I mean, you, you report on the private credit market and um, you reported on this recently. So what's the, what's the angle? Yeah, yeah. So life insurance policyholders, you know, mostly seniors, have a few options when it comes to their life insurance policy. Of course, one option is just to keep it. Uh, keep paying premiums, preserve that debt benefit payout for your loved ones or other beneficiaries when you die. If you want the money now, another option is to withdraw the cash value you've built up and then just stop paying premiums and let the policy lapse, which many people actually do. So withdrawing the cash value, this is kind of like uh, in that movie, It's a Wonderful Life, right? Yes, exactly. I mean, it's uh, not the right holiday for today, but we're coming up on it. And George Bailey, the protagonist, is down and out, run out of money, and he tries to cash in his life insurance policy, and the broker tells him he's worth more dead than alive. Iconic, iconic scene. Um, right, so you know that's that's an option if you have enough cash value built up, or if your life is worth enough. But if you, yeah, essentially, if you have enough cash value built up, you might want to withdraw that money and then stop paying premiums. Sort of basically let the policy die before you do, as it were. Yes, exactly. And this is actually pretty common. You know, researchers at KKR actually found that more than 100 billion of life insurance policies lapse every year with no financial benefit to policyholders, while only 4 billion of policies settle each year. Settle meaning presumably the holder dies and the beneficiaries get the payout as planned. 
Yes, exactly. You file a claim on the life insurance and the claim is settled and you get the payout. Got it. Okay. So those are the plain options, you know, the boring ones. Um, the alternative and where we get to private credit is a life settlement. And that entails selling your policy, not letting it lapse, not withdrawing the cash value, but selling your active life insurance policy to someone for a multiple of its cash value component. So, you know, just for example here, if you had 100K in cash value, you can maybe sell that for 400,000. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay, so, so money today when I can still spend it. Um, and what else do I get? And, and also, what, what do I give away in return for this? So the buyer also assumes responsibility for all future premium payments, but in return, they get the payout when you die. The, uh, I'm doing air quotes here, the death benefit. Yes, the death benefit. So instead of going to your beneficiaries, whoever they are, that money instead goes to whoever bought the policy. Right, okay. And these days, you know, that could be a firm like Blackstone, Apollo, KKR, some of the biggest names in private credit. Right, got it, okay. So that's the, that's the broad strokes, that's why we care. But I'm really curious about how this all works. I mean, how precisely does my life insurance policy end up in Apollo's portfolio? Like, presumably... I don't get a call from Mark Rowan one day saying he'd like to purchase the right to my death benefit. No, no. So it can start with brokerage firms like Coventry or Abacus or some of the popular ones. And they air commercials on TV, letting seniors know that they can sell their policy for a multiple of their cash value. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't know that necessarily. They make that call and they often end up selling their policies individually to life settlement brokers. And these brokers then bundle these policies by the hundreds or even thousands in some cases and sell them in chunks to big, invest big investment firms like the ones we just talked about. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole ecosystem, these aggregators of policies who then get paid for their work of originating these assets, aggregating them and selling them on. Right. This is this all has a, a strong whiff of the kind of current mania in private credit around asset backed private credit lending and all these alternative kind of assets that these big investment firms are looking into, like music rights, for example, uh, you know, in a way, I suppose this isn't really that that different. So with that in mind, how do you analyze one of these portfolios? Like what what metrics do you look at? Yeah. So that's when you can kind of begin to see some of the differences because life insurance life insurance portfolios are not really normal asset portfolios. You know, discussions of those involve average age and life expectancy because mm. those are the real drivers of returns here and what investors want to know. So you say, hey, this portfolio of life insurance policies I have, the average age is 82, average life expectancy is 86, hold on to it for a few years, cover premiums, and then you can take the payout upon their deaths. Right. Yeah. So it's it's morbid, but also, I mean, you say it's not a normal asset portfolio, but in in some quite important ways, it actually is not that different from the basics of underwriting any other credit investment. You want to know the term, you want to know the expected kind of like rate of rate of return, and you want to know how much principal you're in line to receive at, at maturity, right? It's just that in this case, maturity is 
someone's death. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's true, and that's pretty much the trade. Uh, you pay seniors for more than their cash value, but less than their death benefit. You continue to pay those premiums until they die, and then you collect the beth- death benefit when they do. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So you can see why the industry prefers euphemisms like life settlement, can't you? I mean, it's it's a, it's a little awkward. Um, and for that reason, I kind of want to know what are some of the views in the industry on it? Clearly, there are people who are into this trade um, and there's, you know, there's, I suppose you could take a quote unquote moral stance against it. But in in another way, it's like an asset like any other, like we already said. Um, but how do clearly there's a spectrum of views on this, essentially, is what I'm saying. So how do people how do people navigate that? Yeah, as you pointed out, it, it can be awkward and there's no way to get around the math that makes life settlements a viable investment. It's right there, pretty much inherent in the business model. Right. Yeah, it's sort of like a weirdness to it, right? It's not a conflict of interest exactly, but a a kind of distastefulness that you can imagine some people would would, would have. It sort of feels icky. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of undeniable. You know, in in 2019, uh, Newberger Berman wrote that regulatory scrutiny of the industry could increase because... And I quote, it involves allowing elderly policy owners to cash out prior to death and thereby benefits if they die faster than modeled. Right. Yeah. Faster than modeled. That's what a way to put it. But at the same time, there is a market for this. Seniors do want that cash now. And people I've spoken to in the industry buying these loans, aggregating them, have argued that it promotes senior financial independence and giving them access to that cash now. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of similar in a way to a, a reverse mortgage or an equity release kind of loan on on your on your mortgage. Um, and yeah, it's it's a fair point. We've we've got some tailwinds, right? There's an aging population. Families, in some ways, are less close knit than they used to be, or maybe better put, people are just more independent. So some older people may not feel their dependents need the cash payout when they die, or may just not want it to go to them. They may just want the cash now while they're still alive and can and can spend it. Um, or, the, or they may it may not be a question of want or desire. They may just really need it. Like uh, maybe they can't afford to keep paying the premiums, or they uh, have other financial needs that they that they are really hard up for. Uh, and this is a, a kind of a liquidity benefit. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's an option for them. They can use these proceeds however they see fit. You know, for example, sometimes seniors have high healthcare costs, and mm. this can go to that. But it can also go to a sports car. You know, I'm not really sure, but that's also the point. It's their cash. They can spend it how they like. And in some cases, the alternative is letting those policies lapse, which doesn't benefit anyone either. So Maybe I'm going to uh, cash in my life insurance policy and buy a sports car for my midlife crisis. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Um, so... It's complicated. Uh, It can be unsavory to think about a business model that profits most when policyholders die sooner than expected. At the same time, they're offering a liquidity option for seniors who may need the extra cash or may just want it. Yeah. Buy now, die later, as we put in the headline for your story. Exactly. To coin a phrase. 
All right. Well, on that note, Sammy, thanks so much for joining me today. I am now full of morbid thoughts and ready for the Nine Fin Halloween party. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Will. And that's all we've got time for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. And don't forget to check in next week with our European team for the latest on Levfin Markets over the pond. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, as always, take care.